turn some lights on and bring out a music stand because I want you to be able to see me and I want to be able to see you this morning. We'll do some stage managing here. Orson Shire wrote these words. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. I am so tired. How about you? I am tired of checking my Facebook feed the first thing in the morning. I grab my phone and stroll, scroll through to see if there is fresh horror waiting for us. I am tired of trying to decide when to watch a video, whether watching it is looking fully at the horror in front of me, refusing to turn away or whether watching it is a kind of voyeurism. I am tired of reworking my platform and what I might say, because there is yet one more national tragedy. I am so tired. A colleague asked me this week, sent me a message saying he was struggling, and he said, I, I don't know what's the point of all of this. <laughs> what's the point of what we do? What's the point of what I'll say on Sunday morning? My answer to him reminded me of why I do this work, why we come together, why we seek a place where we can gather with our full selves, all of our grief and all of our rage, all of our fear, why we gather in this place with all of that and also some possibility that we might find here a chance to nurture our love and our hope. We preachers have been trying to support each other in the last couple of days, reminding each other to speak to the reality around us. Get rid of what you thought you were going to say, we tell each other. Here are words that I found maybe 
They will work for you, we write to our colleagues. And I hope to do that today. (laughs) And then at the same time, I had a child come up this morning, a child I hadn't met before, and as she walked in, she introduced herself as a Ravenclaw Quidditch player. (laughs) Hi, I'm a Ravenclaw Quidditch player. Good morning. (laughs) Our children, as those of you who were with us last week know, have started the Harry Potter Sunday School, which lasts all summer. That's why several of them are wearing wizarding robes and may, throughout the heat and humidity, be coming in those wizarding robes. And this is a place for that, too. It is a place for Ravenclaw Quidditch players (laughs) and Hufflepuffs and Gryffindors, even a place for Slytherins. Here is the thing. I think we need Harry Potter. Religious communities, communities of all kinds throughout history have looked to stories to help them make it through the reality of their lives. Some traditions are built on those stories. Some tell the stories Sunday after Sunday or Saturday after Saturday. The stories are woven into the fabric of who they are as a people. In a humanist community like ours, in the ethical culture tradition, we don't have the same stories every week, but it doesn't mean that we don't need stories, that we don't need stories to to give us lessons on how to live, to help us escape sometimes, but more to teach us how to be present, how we want to be. Harry Potter has been a particularly popular story with humanists, with secular folks searching for the kind of broad mythology that teaches life lessons. There's actually, there's a, you can imagine, a huge amount of fanfic out there, things that people have written inspired by Harry Potter. And one of them is a series of books about what it would be like if Harry Potter had been raised by a secular humanist family. (laughs) And then got the wizarding letter (laughs) inviting him to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. I'm assuming that most folks here have at least a passing familiarity with Harry Potter. I will just say that Harry starts out as an 11-year-old wizard, a young boy who comes from very difficult circumstances. He is orphaned, and he uh, is then accepted into wizard school and has many adventures all part in the end of saving the world from evil. Harry Potter is a a series, a book and movie series that relies on magic, relies on the unbelievable, the incredible. And yet, like so many magical series, speaks to us specifically about what it is to be human. In Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Professor Professor Dumbledore, who runs the wizarding school and is is the sort of um, wise and learned teacher, says to Harry, this pain 
is part of being human. The fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. As I prepared for this platform and thought about Harry Potter and what I wanted to say about that particular movie series to you, why it has become indeed a sacred text for so many, I thought about that quote. The fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. There are lists you can find online of the top 20 lessons from Harry Potter, many of which speak to our situation now. We can't change our past, but we can change our future. That's number one. Sometimes we have to face our fears to get what we want. The power of love is stronger than the power of hatred. Several of you gathered to watch this particular movie, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, at the bishop's house last night. Others of you may have seen it as well. How many have seen the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban movie or read the book? That's, that's most of you. Or seen another Harry Potter movie so that you've seen Dumbledore somewhere in there, yeah. So the thing I love about this particular movie is that it introduces the idea of the Dementors. The Dementors are those sort of ghost-like creatures who suck out of you all the life and joy and love. They prey on your fear and your worst experiences. Obviously, I don't love that they show. I mean, nobody loves the Dementors, right? (laughs) But I love the symbolism that they bring to us. That's why I chose this particular movie. And as we have been navigating the week the past week and all it has brought up for us, a week which has brought into high relief things that many in this community have been thinking about for months and for years. The idea of the Dementors and our fight against them has become particularly relevant. We actually heard about the Dementors here at the Ethical Society last year. Some of you might remember when Chris Crass, the white anti-racist activist and Unitarian Universalist, spoke here. He talked about the death culture of white supremacy being just like the death culture of the Dementors and the death culture of Voldemort, the great villain in the Harry Potter series. He talked about the idea that the Dementors' power isn't just that they're out in the world, but also that they get inside your own head, changing your own perceptions of what is good and right. Ron Weasley, one of the central characters in the series, on encountering a Dementor for the first time, said, I felt weird like I'd never be cheerful again. This is the power of fear and hopelessness. It's the power of the white supremacy culture. And we are called to fight against it. In Harry Potter, the way to uh, recover from a Dementor is to eat a bar of chocolate. And I do recommend that as a coping technique. (laughs) I really do. There are times this week I have thought, that might be all I have in this moment. (laughs) But the way to fight against the Dementors is to summon all that you have within you 
that is good and right and beautiful. It's to think about your happiest memory, not a time like getting presents at Christmas or winning in a competition, but a time when you felt deeply connected to people you love. That is the way to work against the Dementors, bringing forth all that you love, that connection that you feel. You're then able to summon a particular charm, the Patronus charm, which fights off the Dementors seeking to suck out your life and joy. This movie has not just the Dementors, but also a character about which everyone makes assumptions, Sirius Black. Sirius Black is presented in the beginning of the book and the movie as a dangerous criminal, and he turns out, spoiler alert, (laughs) to be instead a victim, deeply misunderstood. For me, that speaks to the importance of learning more, reminding us to challenge our own assumptions. And to save Sirius at the end of the movie, Harry Potter and his friends choose to break the rules. Now, I will say Harry Potter and his friends always break the rules. They're inevitably breaking the rules. But they choose to break the rules for a higher moral framework. Because this week, the lens through which I see everything is the Black Lives Matter movement, the movement for justice in our country. I see Harry Potter and his friends breaking the rules to save someone, and I think about nonviolent protest. I think about the freeways that are blocked all around the country. In San Francisco last night, in St. Paul, Minnesota, in Dover, Delaware. (laughs) Such a nice people, the Delawareans. Breaking the rules for a higher moral purpose. The majority of us, I'll say just as an aside, the majority of us in this community have been having a conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement for some time. And many of us are familiar and comfortable with that language. I want to note because, of course, we always have visitors and those among us, indeed, in our community who aren't there quite yet. I'll have just a quick note. If you are one of the folks who wonders if all lives matter might still be a better phrase. The best analogy I have found is, um, is that of a, of a breast cancer fundraiser. You know, at a breast cancer fundraiser, people don't walk through saying other cancers matter, all cancers matter. No, they, they know that at that time they're focusing on breast cancer, and they work for that. If that's not enough, if you want to talk more about Black Lives Matter and the fundamentals of the movement, I want to encourage you to come to me, to come and talk with me so that I can hear from you and share with you and we can learn together. But I'm going to assume for the rest of this that many of us have already had that conversation, that we're here with each other partly because we want to know what comes next. And I think we are called to figure out that next step, 
to figure out what it means to go from supporting the movement for black lives in a basic way, internally or on social media, to really working for change on a systemic level. As Professor Dumbledore, our wise guide, said in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. This is a time for that, a time to choose between what is right and what is easy. It is also, I think, a time for both and. A time for both and. You know, we have been in this week, in this week of fresh horror upon fresh horror. We have been perhaps surrounded, I don't know about you, but I certainly have been surrounded by folks who look at the violence in Dallas and feel a call to more deeply connect with the police force. I want to note here and make really clear and and invite you to hear this deeply with your heart that the horrific act in Dallas by one lost soul in no way relates to the ongoing work of the movement for black lives. In fact, it's antithetical to that work, that work which has been grounded in nonviolent protest in nonviolent work for systemic change. And so I, I want this time to be not a moment to backtrack, but instead a time to recommit to that work to the movement for black lives and all that it stands for. And yet, at the same moment, I wonder if in this week of horror, when we feel within our hearts both, perhaps, a deep sadness for the families of Alton Sterling and the family of Philandro Castile, and also, of course, a deep sadness and grief for the families of the five officers killed in Dallas. I wonder if it is a time when our hearts can expand yet even more, when we can embrace the both and and reject the false divisions, the false divisions that other people put up around us. Might this be a time for people to look past dividing lines and imagine a possibility to move forward together. Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General of the United States, who has been a kind of wise Dumbledore for me in these past weeks with so many thoughts, put it so beautifully. To the families of all who lost their lives in this series of tragedies, we share your pain and loss, she said. To our brothers and sisters who wear the badge, I want you to know that I am deeply grateful for the difficult and dangerous work you do every day to keep our streets safe and our nations secure. She went on, to those who seek to improve our country through peaceful protest and protected speech, I want you to know that your voice is important. Do not be discouraged by those who use your lawful actions as cover for their heinous violence. We will continue to safeguard your constitutional rights and to work with you in the difficult mission of building a brighter, better nation and a brighter future 
And to all Americans, I ask you not to allow the events of this week to precipitate a new normal in our country. I ask you to turn to each other, not against each other, as we move forward. Or, as Dumbledore said, we are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. I've been part of an interesting online conversation this week, talking with colleagues who are working with the Movement for Black Lives in their cities locally and working from different perspectives. Someone identified it as the radicals and the reformers. The radicals are out there looking for a whole new system. They are seeking the abolition of police, the abolition of prisons, the complete revolutionizing of our criminal justice system. The reformers, on the other hand, are working little by little to change the structures which already exist, to improve training, to create anti-bias curriculum and de-escalation techniques, to bring forward body cameras and many of the other pieces articulated in Campaign Zero, the specific demands associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. These colleagues have been in conversation with each other online in safe settings, talking about those two approaches, radical and reform. And I come away both grateful to be a fly on the wall and grateful for both their work, both and. Every revolutionary moment has had these two workers side by side, those seeking an overhaul of the system and those working little by little to change the system from within. There is space, I think, for both these kinds of reform and revolution. Or as Dumbledore would say, differences of habit and language are nothing if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. I invite you in this week to think about what might be next for you. Whether you are a radical or a reformer, what is the step that you can take next? to increase justice in the world, to fight against the Dementors. There is a special task, I think, for those of us who are white, and sometimes it feels like the hardest one of all to me. Dumbledore, again, put it perfectly in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Especially, perhaps, our Facebook friends, who has unfollowed someone this week. Yeah. Those of us who are white are called to be radicals. We are called to be reformers. We are called to follow the lead of people of color, and especially black people in this movement, and we are also called to, as one person puts it, bring our cousin in. We are called to speak out to our white family and friends, to those who are not yet 
on the same page, not yet ready to support justice and the movement for black lives. And we are called, as hard as it is, to not unfriend them in reality. Now, as a pastor, I will say sometimes you need to unfollow. I understand the need to take care of yourself and what you see. And yet at the same time as a prophet, I ask you to do the hard work of conversation with your friends and family who are not yet ready, but who might be able to come in. If you can nurture that relationship, if you can share with them what you have learned, if you can stand your ground clearly without cutting them off, this movement needs that too. Radicals, reformers, and relationship builders, relationship keepers. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. The best part of this movie, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, is the ending, which is decidedly ambiguous. Most of the Harry Potter books end in that way. Of course, it makes sense. It's a series, so she wants you to read the next one or watch the next one. But I think there is a gift for us in the ambiguous ending of this movie if we look for it. By the end of the movie, Harry and his friends have indeed broken rules for a higher moral purpose. Harry has summoned his love and strength so that he can ward off the Dementors who seek to draw him into hopelessness and death. People have come closer. Harry has learned the real truth about his godfather, Sirius Black, and yet his godfather is on the run And the real perpetrator has escaped. And Harry, in desperation, says, none of it made any difference. That's where I was this week. Perhaps you were, too. Wondering if the radicals and the reformers and the relationship builders, if any of them were going to make any difference at all. If the country was too far gone and we would have week after week of horror. And the truth is, there are horrors to come. We are not done marching. We have not had our last vigil. More will be lost. And yet. And yet our task Radicals, reformers, and relationship builders, all our task is to not give up. Rosemary Bray McNatt, the president of Star King School uh, Seminary, which is the Unitarian Universalist Seminary in California, and an African-American woman, wrote these words this week. What now? She asked. What each of us does now is what must be done if we are to survive at all. 
Most urgently, we recognize the astronomical human cost of white supremacy and the racism that is its symptom. We count the tremendous losses of our siblings across the country and the world, as well as the wounding and the trauma of survivors in places we will never see. For a while, we own it all. We grieve and rage against what seems today like the dying of the light. Meanwhile, we practice endless kindness in all things, not as an example for others, but as a healing balm to our own brokenness. We gather our scattered thoughts about what we can do, what our witness will be in these sad days. We choose one thing we can do individually and one thing we can do in concert with others in a practice of resistance so that we don't sit alone in helpless pain but begin to reenter our troubled and difficult world with purpose. What we do now is remember our primary task as people of faith. We go on. Unclear, unsure, largely unprepared, we go on. We cannot know whether it is too late to turn the continuing tide of hate and violence on the ascendancy. We cannot know who will win an election or declare a war. We can, however, know and live our own intentions— We can look at what is evil and not turn away. We can speak peace in a world that delights in conflict. We can struggle relentlessly for justice, even when we cannot immediately see the results. In the midst of our anger and grief today, may we each hear our call to faithfulness, and may we answer that call with all our strength. Or as Dumbledore puts it, We must try not to sink beneath our anguish, but battle on.